My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end user. Heather Stratford, founder and CEO of Drip7 Incorporated, is a thought leader in the cybersecurity field. Heather writes and speaks on cyber, entrepreneurship, and microlearning. She's a national Tory Birch Fellow, graduate of 10,000 Small Business Program, and winner of the Women in Business Leadership Award. She's an adjunct professor for Whitworth University and is currently writing a book about lessons for women and entrepreneurs. She has five children and loves to travel. Good afternoon. This is Mark Madison on Books and People. Today, I'm excited about our guest, Heather Stratford. Heather, how are you today? I am great, and I'm super happy to be here. Ah, I'm glad you made the time. I know you're very busy. So we met in Phoenix, Arizona in what, 2001? It's been a long time. I, I hate to think back that long, but uh, yes, it's been, it's been that long. You were the marketing manager for web distributors and a gentleman named David Sharp, if I remember correctly. That's correct. And it was a great experience working with web distributors. And they also were at a pivotal time and phase where they were being courted and ended up uh, selling to Ferguson. And so I went through all of that transition with them, which was quite the experience. Right. How long did you stay after the transition? I was there for about a year, year and a half. Okay. And then you moved. But before we go down that path, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up back east. So around Saratoga, New York, upstate New York in the lower Adirondacks. Oh, that's beautiful up there. I am a fan of maple trees and uh, apple cider in the fall. And it's a, it's a beautiful area of the country. Yeah, and there's an old saw that says they grow more apples in New York State than they do in Washington. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know. Well, they are certainly the top two, but yes, I've heard that too. I think New York actually sell, uh, produces more. When did you leave New York? How old were you? I was 18. So I was born and raised in New York and I left New York and I headed west. I went to uh, college at Brigham Young University. BYU. Why there? Well, um, I grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So that happens to be where a lot of LDS people tend to go to school. But yes. I was also in the honors program. Uh, I was on scholarship and it was just a great university uh, and gave me exposure to a lot of study abroad programs where I experienced and started doing things overseas. When you're smart, the school pays you. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> what I did. That's so great. So you didn't stop there, though. So what happened after college? Did you did you get hired on right away at Web or what? Uh, I actually uh, went to work for a company called Executive Excellence, which was a subsidiary of the Covey Leadership Center. Got and it. I learned how to make books and magazines and work with in the publishing industry. I was a production manager and uh, got my feet wet. It was it was a great experience. Mm, God, I bet you learned a ton. I think and the world misses Stephen Covey. 
Uh, and I did meet Stephen Covey, uh, quite a charismatic leader uh, and prolific author. Yeah, he was, you know, and he, I think he died in a bicycle accident or something, some kind of strange way to go. I remember talking to his son on a flight and had just, he had just passed away a few months before that. And uh, he left, left big shoes. He did live, live big shoes. He also um, left quite a legacy. So he has quite a large family and a lot of uh, both people and ideas and IP that he's left behind for people to continue. I took to heart his one of his seven habits, uh, seek first to understand rather than to be understood. And that's so pr profound in its simplicity. But it's one of those things like the golden rule. It's easy to say, but hard to do. It is. It is. And to be fair, he came up with the ideas, but I actually um, worked for his ghostwriter and the person who actually wrote the words to a lot of the books and the materials. Uh, most people don't realize that, um, you know, just because you come up with the ideas doesn't mean that you are the, the end writer that puts them down. Right. Yeah, well, my late publisher, Charlie Jones, he, he didn't write his book either. He had somebody write it for him. And he said, yeah, I hired a ghostwriter. And I said, well, I'll hire a ghost reader to read it then. <laughs> you know, he thought that was pretty good. So what happened after Webb? Where did you go? Did you leave Arizona? Uh, I, after Webb, I worked in a food distribution company uh, where I launched private label brands and learned a lot about the food industry. And after that, I took my first retirement and traveled for a year in a VW camper van um, and uh, did a lot of traveling and then came back and decided I was going to get my MBA and went to Thunderbird, which was in Arizona, and got my international um, business management degree and then landed at Web Distributors. Interesting. So they hired you after you graduated with your master's? Yes. That makes sense. I remember thinking when I first met you, I think we talked afterwards and we hadn't even gone to dinner, but I remember thinking, wow, this, this young lady is really bright. Uh, David's lucky to have her. So all these years later now, you're doing something called Drip7. Tell us what that's all about. Yeah, people uh, ask me, how do, you know, where, where did Drip7 come about? And Drip7 is a microlearning platform focused on cybersecurity education. Um, but the idea is to help people better learn in small bite-sized drops or drips uh, of information and not once a year in a compliance type of mandated uh, training. And why seven? Uh, we have to hear something seven times before we actually internalize it, before we, we make it part of who we are and we remember to implement it. I've long believed that and practiced that. If I come across a book that we talked about this that I think is substantive and life-changing, I'll read it seven times. So I agree with that 100%. But, but there's also, it's also, we, we discussed this in Spokane last week. Uh, it's also about just a few minutes a day, right? That's correct. So the idea is consistency and to start where you're at. So to have it gamified and have it badge and reward oriented rather than punitive and, and scary. People are scared of cybersecurity with good reason. 
you read the headlines and you see what's happening and most people don't understand it. They don't understand even privacy. And, and so it's an area that needs more, um, more love and attention. And that's what we're giving to it. We're trying to change the industry and uh, be a disruptor to the industry. Why is that important? Why is it relevant now? Well, it's, it's protecting really our way of life. You look from the most recent headlines of the colonial pipeline ransomware attack to Equifax, to Target, to Marriott, all of these are large breaches and it's everywhere. Our information um, and people. My mother, uh, probably you know, a family member of yours has been uh, cyber attacked um, and their information has been taken and stolen and they might've lost uh, money or other things. Uh, so it is at epidemic proportions right now. Since the beginning of COVID, there has been a 400% increase in the cyber crime incidents reported by the FBI. Wow, that's a big number. It hits all of us. So who are your clients? Who, who are you going after? I know you landed a few big ones recently. Our clients are enterprise level primarily. Uh, large organizations see the value since they've sent people home, they need to uh, expand their training and, and help them better engage in, in safe practices. But our solution is all the way down to a company of 10 people, right? Our solution works for both small and large organizations. What I see is it's really a mission. It's a mission of empowering people, no matter where they come from, no matter what kind of organization they're in, that they get to learn and better understand both for themselves personally and for their company that they work for. When does a company contact you? Before something happens or after? Well, it's always better if they do before, if they're starting <laughs> to that direction and they say, oh, we need this. Uh, but a lot of us wait until our, our gas light comes on and says, oh, you're low on gas or, hey, you need to, you know, do this in your house. We, we wait till the last minute. Uh, it might be human nature, but really cybersecurity can't be that way. You have to do things proactively. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because we're all on technology. We all have you know, an Android or an Apple phone that we have in our back pocket. We have laptops. We, we are so connected uh, that uh, you walk into a house um, and you check how many connected devices they have. My husband and I were just looking because uh, at our uh, Wi-Fi connection uh, just last night and he pulled it up and he looked and he says, you know, we have 30 uh, connected devices within the last... 36 hours on our network, right? I mean, that's typical of a U.S. household. That's a lot of connectivity. And we have to be much more aware of what to do and what not to do so that we stay safe. And all of a sudden, my dentist becomes important when I get a cavity and my tooth hurts. Yes. Now, and that's the other thing. So if somebody does experience an incident or a breach, they immediately start to reach out to people like myself or people I have on staff to say, oh, now what do I do? 
well, once you've run your car down to no gas and you're stopped on the side of the road, then it's too late. You know, you might have blown your engine or right. I mean, you just it's almost too late. Um, there are things you can do, but sometimes it's very expensive because you've right. made some really critical mistakes uh, that could have been easily prevented. Right. An ounce of prevention is worth the pound of cure, right? Yes, that is that is a hundred percent accurate in this space. That would be a good subtitle <laughs> to Drip yes. Seven. Yes. Right? So things are taken off for you. They are. We've uh, double doubled our staff. We just um, we are looking at signing our very first international customer. We are looking at venture capital coming in the door. Uh, we we are growing. Uh, it's a very exciting pivot because I've been in the cybersecurity industry for quite a long time. I speak about it. I write about it. And yet now I finally have said, now we're going to make something that will directly impact and be able to be used both nationally and internationally to help impact this very important epidemic level problem that the world is experiencing. The pandemic uh, only heightened the idea of people working remotely and from home, and, and that increased the need for cybersecurity. Right. Now, you've, you discussed writing. Uh, what are you writing about? Are you, you working on a book? I am working on a book, and I'm working on Can you tell us about that? Uh, I, will, I, I will tell you. Um, I am working on a book about... Uh, women in technology and about my journey and also some of the lessons that I have learned through sports. Uh, and I, I chose the sport of running. I ran quite a bit when I was younger. Um, I, I competed for about um, six years and then I competed kind of off and on in other types of races. And that foundational um, lessons that I learned has helped me pivot and really excel and see where I needed to go within technology and the technology space. And I think it's very relevant to women. Uh, there are very few, uh, there are less women in technology than there should be. And specifically in cybersecurity, it's a very underrepresented area. Now you you were a great runner. You were like in junior high when you were on varsity, right? I was. Uh, I was. You were like a seventh grader running with like eighteen. Uh, I was, and uh, went all the way to you know uh, regionals and and you know state competitions. I was quite young. Um, by the time I hit college, I was I was almost burned out. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do this anymore. And I I ended up doing a lot of study abroads instead, but but I did start quite young. And when you do that, those foundational uh, lessons that you learn uh, become ingrained in who you are. Uh, I, you know, as a seventh grader, I was um, competing with uh, much older people <laughs> and I, I had to learn from them. And then I also had to know what I needed to do to succeed in that world. Right. Well, I think sports is a great metaphor. I mean, I, my passion was basketball and 
you know, once I discovered that it was defense, free throws and rebounds that wins basketball games, and first as a player, then as a coach, then I asked myself, well, what are the three things in any discipline, right? Whether it's soccer or football or, you know, sports, but also in business, you think about, you think about Jim Collins book, Good to Great, you know, where's the bus going? Who's on the bus? And are they in the right seat on the bus? Well, there's three things. Every leader needs to answer that question. And that's what sports did for me is it allowed me to think deeply about what are the causes of success, right? And I think for an athlete, uh, especially one who competed at a high level as you did, um, there's a direct correlation between success in business and a success in sports. Those things are transferable, I think. I absolutely agree. And as we are looking right now at the Olympics and we look at these runners and throwers and, and people who are rowing and rock climbing, they're all taking and learning lessons that can be transferable into everyday life, but they are doing it and learning it from sports. Right. And for a lot of those athletes, especially the ones that win medals, good Lord, there's all kinds of opportunity after that. Yes, absolutely. Many a fine speaker was a, was a gold medalist. Um, so, so who is your, who is your audience then? Your, uh, is it the private sector? Uh, what specific markets are you after for Drip7? Uh, for Drip7, uh, I do believe it is the private sector. Uh, we would love to have more uh, government engaged uh, with the platform, but we're very much uh, for forward thinking, uh, adaptable companies who realize that the old way of training, uh, the, the old uh, PowerPoint now uh, kind of interactive, send it out through your LMS system, just doesn't work. It doesn't work well because people don't change their behavior and they don't pay attention to it. So we have to change and evolve with how our economy and how our lives are evolving. And our world is, is carved up into little micro moments. And we need to have our training translate to the way we work today. There are now more millennials in the global workforce than there are baby boomers. And that transition happened in 2019, right before the global pandemic. And our training needs to catch up with how we work today. Right. It was a tipping point, wasn't it? 2019. It really was. And I think people will look back on it um, and there will be a lot written in, in future uh, generations. Who are the who are the women that impacted you? Who are the mentors, women that you look up to that that helped you along the way? It's an interesting question. I think uh, the pivotal one is somebody that a lot of people can identify with, and that is uh, my mom was a very strong influence for me. Uh, she was a uh, a volunteer in every organization uh, out there, and and quite a leader and and quite a speaker. And so I, I learned a lot from her. But as I moved into um, the business world, I had some mentors in college. I had some female professors. Uh, I, my second company I was in was uh, founded by a female founder. And I just, I looked at her and I, and she balanced, you know, having kids, having a husband, uh, grow a multi-million dollar business with lots of employees. And, and I saw what she was doing and how she balanced things. And I said, I, I, I learned from that. Uh, and as I moved to other 
businesses along the way, I would find a mentor within each of those. Uh, you mentioned that we met at web distributors and Keith Webb, who happens to be the founder and he was the father or grandfather of the company, uh, was my mentor there because mm. uh, he taught me many things from his perspective that uh, I learned from and, and could see and, and the value of different things within that business. They had a giant presence in home building as well too, right? Is that the same web? Uh, I believe it was a different web, but, oh, okay. Okay. but, uh, but yes. In, I thought in, they were related. I thought it was like a cousin or a brother. Might, might've been. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So wherever you went, you found people who had done what you want to do and been where you wanted to go. Yes. And do, you, and do you think they took you under their wing because they saw a little of themselves in you? They might have. Uh, I think that I was eager to learn and I was okay with listening. And I think when you approach people and you spend time with them, uh, they want to impart their knowledge. I know I do. When I find the right people, I'm happy to take them under my wing and say, hey, in, in five or 10 years, you're going to be running a company. Remember these things. Um, right. and, and I had many of those people along the way. What was interesting is when I look back, I didn't take one mm, traditional business course in my undergraduate degree. Hmm. Um, I, but then I realized I wanted to have some of those fundamentals and I went back for an MBA. So it's never too late to say, hey, I need, I want to find more of this and finding mentors along the way that will help you get there. Right. Yeah, because, you know, the, when I've, I've been blessed. I had one gentleman take me under his wing and teach me the speaking business and other gentlemen teach me the book business. And I think for those reasons, you know, I was eager. I was willing to do anything. And they saw that willingness. They saw that ambition, that energy. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'd like to believe that I reminded them of them when they were younger. And so I think that's one of the reasons they chose to say, come on, kid, let me show you how this works. And what a gift, you know, and you're, there's a coach in you though. You're a natural coach. Does that come from running? Does that come from sports? Uh, it, it might. Uh, or, I, or your mom. Uh, probably a little bit of both. I, I grew up mentoring and coaching people. I actually believe that a lot of leadership is innate and you're born with it. Right. I believe you can enhance it. I believe that you can encourage it and get better at it. But I think there's a lot of natural born leaders and, and uh, I, I both was raised by one and I think I became one. Um, and I was so nature and nurture. Yeah, I, I believe that. And I, I see people um, around me and some of them I don't think have the work ethic to really get there. They might be interested, but they don't wanna put in the hard work that's needed. And when you find the person that's willing to put in the hard work, that's the person you'll be willing to invest in. You know that when I was a kid, I was the one that organized all the games we played on the street, everything from baseball to hide and go seek. And no one told me to do that. It was just, I really wanted to play. So I went around, you know, gathering kids up. And fortunately, we live on a street where there are a lot of kids. 
you know, where, where does that come from? I think, I think you're right. I think that's innate. It's nurtured to be sure, but nobody told me to do that. And when I got to high school, I had everybody's phone number memorized on the basketball team. And I would call them and say, Hey, we're playing Saturday at two o'clock at the church and nine guys would show up. It, and it, but you put in the work, you wanted to see it happen. And so it did happen. And, right. and I see that in, in today, um, there's, there's a lot of work to go in. And sometimes we are impatient and we want it to come too quickly. Why, right. you know, why can't I shoot all the free throws or why, why am I not as good as I want to be? And it takes time. It mm -hmm. takes really putting in the hours, the 10,000 hours to be yep. the expert yep. um, in that area. No, that's very true. Uh, it's 10,000 hours to 10 years, whichever comes first. And that knowledge, attitude, skills, and habits all come from the grind, you know, that, that deep practice, the, the hard work. And there's nothing you can't, you can't skip that. You can't accelerate it or move it faster except by putting in longer hours and paying that price in advance. You know, you and I, the last time we talked, I mentioned uh, The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. That book had a profound impact on me. And he talked about ignition, deep practice, and master coaching as the three things that, you know, allow you to, to earn the right to mastery in those 10,000 hours. That book had a profound effect on me. What books really grabbed a hold of you, had a big impact on you? It's interesting. Um... I know it's kind of out of the kind of out of the blue, but here we go. Yeah, um, the first one that comes to mind is a very small book, and it was called "The Dip" by Seth Godin. I read it. Yeah, and it was profound to me because at the time, I was on the cul-de-sac, is what he would call it. I was going in circles. Yeah. I wasn't moving forward. And I had to step back and realize I had to get off the cul-de-sac. I had to get on another street. Like I had mm. to pivot. I had to move somewhere else. And it was profound. Um, one of the other ones that I think um, many people will identify with is um, uh, Blue Ocean and just the whole idea of you don't really want to be in the red ocean where there's a lot of competitors. Uh, you, you really want to find a blue ocean out there too. And as I've looked at business, I have uh, strategized to pivot to an area where we can develop and develop in a blue ocean. Do you remember the author's name? Uh, That's an unusual title, so it should be hard to find for my listeners, yes. but I will interesting. Look yeah, I read, I probably read five or six of Seth Godin's books. I think the guy's brilliant, but I read Permission Marketing in 2002. And that's what prompted me to start writing my e-zine that I've been doing since 2003. And, you know, he's just such a smart guy. Uh, just great advice, great insights into marketing and sales and business in general. Um, what advice would you offer to women who want to be successful in business? Um. I would say to, to be true to themselves in terms of work-life balance. That uh, I know when I was starting out, I, I heard somebody speak and she said, 
you cannot have it all and don't let anybody tell you you can because those long hours that you put in, you will sacrifice, you know, family or life or different things. And that really struck very, very hard. And I realized that you have to pick and choose the right time. It's not always the right time to be the CEO of a company. It's not always the right time to take the back seat um, and be the support. Uh, if you want to have and be and have a, a family, uh, you have to find balance. But there is a time and a place where it can all come to pass with the right timing. And I really did that. Uh, I got off of the fast track and built my own businesses and raised a family and now am putting in more hours, but it's the right time for me to be able to do that. Uh, and it's, it is, uh, it's something that is difficult for a lot of women because that balance is hard to find. I liken that challenge to golf. My friend Matt is like a two handicap and he played 36 holes of golf every day for three summers. And now when he goes out, he's just a great golfer. He doesn't have to work at it. So you have two, you have two opportunities to be a great golfer. Once when you're young and you have the time and once when you're older and you have the time. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say is you have to choose that time. Exactly. Um, the other thing is to not always listen to the people around you, hmm. right? Um, some of them might be family members, they might be friends, and the people that you are, are around are going to influence who you become in five years. And I, I've, heard, I've heard that somewhere. I the can, books and the people, the people and books in five years, huh? That's catchy. I should write that down. I can definitely remember some people telling me, you know, to my face, they say, why are you getting an MBA when you're, you know, at the time my, I had, my husband was in medical school. They said, why are you getting an MBA when you're going to be a doctor's wife? And I had a hard, I was like, how do I respond to that? Um, it, it's about me and it's about me needing that education and wanting that education and seeing what that will lead to in the future. But it was interesting. Don't always listen to the people around you. There will be naysayers around you. Yes. And there will people, be people who say, well, you can't do that. Why would you be able to do that? Um, Pay attention to whose voices you really listen to. Yes. Yes, you have to. I was a chimney sweep. I was 23 years old. I was working 100 hours a week. I had a couple of jobs, a business and a, a, part, a couple of part-time jobs. And I made the mistake of telling a customer that he goes, well, I guess you'll be the richest guy in the boneyard. And what he was really saying was, I'm projecting my beliefs onto you and you make me uncomfortable by what you're saying to me. And so... You know, I just chose not to listen to him because I was on a I was on a mission. So, uh, you know, I wish we had more time. We're we're about we're almost out of time. So let me ask you uh, one last question. Um, parting thoughts. P.S. 
here's three things I want you to remember. Uh, I would like women out there to realize that they don't have to stay where they're at and that there's more to life out there and it might be a business track. And I would love to encourage more women to become entrepreneurs. Excellent. That there is balance that can be found in your life. You have to create it one step at a time. And probably third, pushing on that brick wall. That's what I always call it. When you push on that brick wall, sometimes that brick wall moves. So don't stop. Don't, if you know you're on the right track, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. That old adage of how to eat an elephant, which is kind of a morbid thing to think about, but how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time and you just have to keep moving forward, keep it in play. And if you remember that, uh, you will have a wonderfully successful life because you will have done something. Who knows what it will be, but you will have done something. You know, as I sit here and listen to you, and I pretty much have this thought every time we talk, if I could just get you to come out of your shell, you know, open up a little bit, get a little bit more excited about what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're the cool breeze in a stuffy room. Heather, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to your other uh, guests. And hopefully you'll invite me back one day when my book is published. And I look forward to uh, talking to you again. Yeah, I just ordered 100 copies of my new book today. So some promotional copies to send out. So uh, you and I will talk again soon, I know. And thank you so much, Heather. And good luck with Drip7. I know it's not if, it'll just be when. All right, thank you so much. Yes, look it up, drip7.com. Is there any other ways somebody should contact you if they're interested? Uh, look me up on, on LinkedIn, Heather Stratford, S-T-R-A-T-F-O-R-D. Or our website is drip, D-R-I-P, the number seven, dot com. And you can find contact information. And yes, please feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fujitsu General America. And like this podcast, they're focused on education and development. From the day they sold their first comfort system in North America, they've been unwavering in their focus on training. It doesn't matter if it's application, installation, or service better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner. So when you're looking for infinite comfort, think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or pique your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association, or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day, unless you have other plans.